All right, peace family. Welcome to Black Star TV 2.0. It's your boy Black Star. And today I got an episode with my brother Sam Brown. And uh he is the author of the ACA3. That's what it's called, right? Yes, sir. The ACA3. Can you uh break that down for us and um tell us how that how you, you were inspired to um to come up with this? Yeah, it'd be an honor and a pleasure. First of all, Black Star, thank you for all the work that you're doing, man, and helping to get the word out and giving me an opportunity to come here. I'm, I'm honored and humbled. Thank you, thank you, brother. I got, I got to give a shout, before you start, I got to give a shout out to Angela. Thank you on mute. The expect uh perspective for um, hooking. I can't hear play. you. You can't hear me? No. Let me see something, let me try to see something. Can you hear me now? No. Hold on, let me see. It's still not working. Now I can hear you. Now you can hear me. Yeah. All right. I was I was going to say I wanted to give a shout out to Angela, uh, the reparationist perspective for um, linking us up, and I appreciate her for that. Um, but go ahead. Um, yeah, break break that down for us. The ACA three and what inspired you to uh, write that? Thank you. Shout out to Angela, True Warrior Queen. So I was in prison, bro. I was in prison for twenty four years, and okay. um. Towards the end of my stint in prison, the last job that I had was as a healthcare facility maintenance worker, which is the equivalent, you know, the technical name for it is environmental technician. But that really means I was a hospital janitor. And okay. as a hospital janitor, my job was to go inside these cells and clean. And I happened to be in the psych ward. So I was going behind men who were like, you know, trying to commit suicide or assaults on each other or staff, and they would slit their wrists bust their heads it would be blood all over the floor blood spills feces urine and i had to go clean that stuff man that was my job and i was the first person in the state of california in a carceral setting to have to go inside of a, a office where a person came into the prison and tested positive for COVID 19 and then they passed it on to the prison population so i was the first person to go inside of a cell and have to disinfect that too and at that time I was scheduled to go to before the board of parole hearings within like, I don't know, 45 days or something. And um, the pandemic, as you know, bro, was off the chain. People were dying in, in Spain and Rome and New York and nobody knew what to expect. So I told my supervisor, I'm like, listen, man, I'm only getting paid like 55 cents an hour. I don't want to continue to risk my life. I didn't made it this far. It's been 23 years. I didn't come 23 years to die for <laughs> cleaning behind you all. I know that's right. <laughs> I didn't made it through the riots and the assaults and the, everything else. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't come here right. to die from COVID-19. And um, so I said, I'm not going to come every day and do this. I'm going to come like every other day. And first they thought I was playing because they was like, okay, cool. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But once I actually took the day off, then they turned around and was like, you can't take no days off. You got to report to work. You know, and so I, I and if I didn't, I would receive what they call the 115 out here in the California prison system. A, a form 115 is a disciplinary report, which is the equivalent of the modern day whip. Yeah, like a sanction, sanction days or whatever. Well, it's 100 percent. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the equivalent of the modern day whip yep. On, yep. on the modern day plantation. And so they utilize that to make people do things that they wouldn't do. And the threat of a 115, especially for somebody like me was was beyond you know it, i couldn't even fathom getting a 115 at that point i had already had like 30 of them in my file you know what i mean over the years yeah yeah of course <laughs> they're gonna, like they gonna break up in 24 years yeah it, it get real you feel me and then uh -huh. like another 31 28s which are like they're not 115s they're supposed to be like documented warnings but they're actually worse because you can't even appeal them yes so yes the Board of Parole hearings wants you to do a, a minimum of five years disciplinary free to even be considered for release. Now, that's an underground regulation. It's not written anywhere, but it's a known practice that everybody is fully aware of. If you walk inside of that board hearing and you have anything less than five years, it's almost an automatic denial. And everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. So I had been disciplinary free for like five years at that time or close to it. You know, and I couldn't couldn't afford that 115, 45 days for the board. So I had to continue doing the job. And I remember telling my wife um, at the time that I don't want to keep doing this and risking my life. 
And she was like, well, can't we do something about it? I said, well, I could appeal it. But if I appeal it, they're going to deny it based on the fact that the law is backed. The, you know, the, 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 the ability to force us to work is backed by the Constitution. And being, and being the rider that she is, she was like, well, let's change the Constitution. <laughs> like Just like no that. Big deal. <clears throat> you know? Damn. So that was it. I sat down and I wrote the amendment, you know what I'm saying? ACA 3 to, to end involuntary servitude and slavery in a carceral setting. So, okay. And it's crazy because a lot of people don't understand. It's funny because when I heard you on the reparation perspective, because this is my lane. I was I was locked up. I've been to prison three times, twice in New Jersey and once in Oregon. And um, yes, and I know exactly what you talk about, the low pay, um, how all these companies, like, you know, they, it's a lot of companies that be making money. Like I was working in the call center in, um, in Oregon, right? And they was like, uh, I actually had seen an article on, um, it was actually written in April, 2019. And I was in Oregon from 2018 to 2020. And I was working in the caution and it was, they said they was paying in the article was like, they paying a hundred, uh, not hundred, they were saying a dollar 25 an hour. And I started adding it up and I was like, no, nah, we wasn't getting that because when you do the math on it, we was doing eight hours, seven in the morning to three in the afternoon, the one hour lunch break when we go to mess, you feel me? And, um, and I was like, no, nah, that, that that's three hundred dollars a month. But see, I see Man. how they came up with it, right? We was only getting one fifty, but if you made your quota for the month, they would match your one fifty. That's where they was coming up with the three hundred. But everybody wasn't oh, doing that, right? And that was considered the best job, like three hundred a month. And what you had said on that uh, mm-hmm. channel, how you could work for years and still come home broke, it's like. What, what what's the point of all this? You feel what I'm saying? Then you come 100%. home. Yeah, you come home and it's like it's hardest to get a job. So like how how has that been like, you know, um like working as far as you know, uh for yourself and whatever, how, how you seen how hard it is once you come home? Man, that's a great question. And thank you for sharing that. And right before I answer that question, I damn near want to interview you now, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you can. Right now. I don't know if you know, but they, we got five states on the ballot right now. You know what I'm saying? With this with this legislation, and Oregon is one of them. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah? It's, oh, yeah, shit. bro. It's, it's, uh, it's Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, Vermont, and Oregon are the five states that are on the ballot right now to end slavery in their, in their prison system. So, shucks, you should actually, I can actually get you to put together a video or something telling people they need to go vote in Oregon because we really need them to go out there to them polls and, and end see- slavery. I could I could see that happening in Oregon because yo their rules is so different like they don't even have parole no more it's like post prison if mm-hmm. you violate you can't even get sent back to prison you get like sanction days right and yeah. yeah yeah and I'm about to tell you this is because there's majority white people in this prison too exactly. so right so like mm-hmm. okay so they can only give you 180 sanction days within a year after that say they gave it you 180 in January. You get out in June. They can't give you no more sanction days the rest of the year. What? So so whatever, bro. That's, that's crazy. So you can, and they and they don't decriminalize every drug, every single drug. So now if you get caught with like less than twenty eight grams of heroin, meth, uh, PCP, anything, it's um, it's a ticket. You get a ticket, unless you get caught selling it. Damn, bro. Their rules is a lot different from New Jersey. When I went over there, I was like, bro, this is crazy. I was explaining that to someone that uh, because it's predominantly white, that's why it's so, you know, the the whole prison system is is easier and different. I'm not going to say it's easier on the people, but it's definitely different how they engage and interact with the people that go through the carceral setting. Yes. Time is less. People, you you see, I've seen people get caught with 21 ounces of, of heroin and get 34 months. Wow, bro, that's life out here. <laughs> that's what I said. That's what I said. Yeah, that's what life sends your ass is toast. And so for yep. me, I've been a, I'm, I'm, I'm doing entrepreneurship for the most part since I've been out here. Okay. Like I'm the executive director of the um, Anti-Violence Safety and Accountability Project. Last time when you see me on that, that was my own clothing line last time, that new Nubian fashions that I was wearing. Yes, yes, the uh, hoodie or whatever you had, a sweatshirt. Yep, and the hat. 
You know? Okay, that's cool. That's what's up. I've been trying to do my own little thing too, man. You can see right there. This is a uh uh t-shirt machine or whatever. I'll be trying really. Yeah, man, you have to see. I actually need to learn from you. Yeah, man, you have to because listen, bro, it's so hard when people come out here, and it's so funny because I had to tell a friend of mine, I'm like, yo, when you I said you can't compare everybody's situation, right? Because somebody be like, yo, my uncle got a job coming home for prom. I'm like, bro. We can have two different, you know, uh, cases or whatever it is. Like everybody's situation is different. And I heard when you were saying on there, you could elaborate on that too, um, about how like you know people like Walmart, like the companies that are actually benefiting from it. And then when you come home, you can't get a job with them. <clears throat> so that's what I was going to ask you right now. So you, like when you worked at the call center in the prison, um, do you remember the company you was working for? It was called OC. Um, I think it was the OCE or something like that. Enterprises, like Oregon something enterprises. They had two of them too. Cause it was one little side over there and uh, the one side I was on, but um, it was called like OCE or something like that. And when you got out, were you able to get a job? Were you able to get hired by them? No, you know, it's so funny because um, I believe that their, their company is strictly in the prison system. Hmm. Yeah, that's why it's like OCE. It's like Oregon uh, Communications Enterprise or something like that. But mm -hmm. it's strictly it's strictly in Oregon. And I was just, I mean, like strictly in the prison. But um, it's funny too because I was doing research. Like I said, I was writing a book because I was like, yo, this whole like um, this whole system, like people don't understand the true ins and out from it from beginning to end. Like I had this article from uh, Yale Law Journal. And um, they was talking about how public defenders get $500 for guilty pleas. Now, mind you, what? I had seen this. Yes, I had seen. I'll send you that article, too. I had, seen, I had seen this before I was in Oregon because I had became conscious and I got kind of set up in Oregon. I, I'll tell you that another time. But um, so when I took my plea and I seen it and I was like, yo, that article was real as hell. Like they really do be getting this. This what's the name? But there's no incentive for them to win. So as I'm sitting in prison, I'm like, yo, we used to have these African-American programs and I used to be talking and I was like, yo, you know, it's funny how, cause everybody always say, yo, this, this county got a 90 something percent conviction rate. This county, I'm like in New Jersey, it's the same way. So then I did some research. I'm like, yo, every county in every state has a 90 something percent conviction rate. And oh, now it makes boy. sense. And yeah, now it makes sense because how, if you get in $500 for guilty, please, you feel what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm doing, ma'am. My job is to convince your ass to just plead guilty. Thank you. Even if you I can beat the case for you, all I got to do is say, yo, man, you they about to give you 10 years. How about you just take <laughs> a year and six yeah. years probation or whatever? You get what I'm saying? 100%. Like, it's and, easy. And like you said, see, and I didn't I didn't even know that, bro. I really want to see that, that article when you get an opportunity. What I yep. do know is I did the etymology of the word attorney. The root word of the word attorney is a torn, A-T-T-O-R-N. And a torn means to turn over to the king. Right? Get the hell out of here. Man, a, a torn means to turn over to the king. So an attorney, their whole job is to take you, bring you in there, and turn over your rights and everything that you got going to the king. That's their job. Yo, that's crazy. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, that's deep as hell. And it's, it's funny because, like, a lot of this is... um. Like, okay, so when I did the, um, I also did, because I was doing everything, like research on like JPay, right? So JPay and all the the, uh, the phone companies and how much money they be making, all this stuff is like billions of dollars. Like they getting billions of dollars of revenue on like all these different things. Like I said, the call center, matter of fact, that article was saying how the call center made $28 million that year. And I'm like, damn, we getting like 150 bucks a month. You feel what I'm saying? Hell yeah. It's just like uh JPay is owned by Platinum Equity, and Platinum Equity is owned by Tom Gores, who owns the Detroit Pistons. What? Man, listen, bro. It's it's so deep, man. It's so deep in how all the the people who own the commissary companies like Keefe, uh Bob yeah. Barker, um mm -hmm. Trinity, Trinity Group, and Ameristar uh Maristar or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I got like all of it. I'm just like, damn, yo, this shit is crazy. And I said, yo, the only way 
because the United States has the uh, highest recidivism rate. And I'm like, yo, the only way to um to end this, bro, is to like to end the money, dog. Yeah, bro. That's what's at the core of the crossroads system is still slavery. The whole <clears throat> the whole excuse me, the whole economic model in America is built on slavery. You know, and some yep. people don't like to hear that, but it's that's the fact. All Western civilization, that's where they built their wealth. The transatlantic slave trade or, or slavery built up everywhere from, from England, you know, from Europe to America to Spain. All, all these countries were built up, stacked their riches during the slavery, during slavery. And something else that they don't like to talk about that I love talking about is the Industrial Revolution. You know what I mean? Okay, okay break it down. With the Industrial Revolution, they like to say that it was in like 18, what was it, 1776, I believe, with the, mm -hmm. with the invent of the steam engine. Yep. You know yep. what I'm saying? And Eli Whitney. And that's a lie. You know what I'm saying? It took place okay. long before that. The, the real Industrial Revolution was a transatlantic slave trade because every industry that slavery touched increased exponentially and has never gone back since then. We're talking about millions of pounds of cotton, indigo, molasses, sugar, everything that touched got touched by them black hands and them black bodies. We were the machine. Yeah, we right. were the industrial revolution. You know what I'm saying? And the model that they created at that time, they they eradicated jobs. That was the, so. Slavery is also the first form of mass automation. Okay. You know what I mean? That's the first form of mass automation because. Automation, what it does is it eradicates jobs that the people don't want to do and it gives it to the machine. But then it creates other jobs that the people can do, like managing the machine. So when you look at slavery, we took all of the jobs that they didn't want to do, being out there in the field, being out there toiling, doing all the stuff that we were doing. And then they became overseers, which are like managers and supervisors. And so when you fast forward to today, you have this same system created where they keep a caste system where we're the laborers, always at the bottom. We're always the consumers. We're never the producers. We're really the supervisors or the managers. You know what I mean? And that's the same system that's in place today. So then when you look at the prison system, it's the same prison system that's in place today. They're going and they make these laws, you know what I'm saying? These tough on crime legislation that decimate our communities, bring us to the prisons. And once again, we're still the machine. And then they're still the supervisors and still the overseers and still doing the same thing that they were doing at the very beginning. It ain't never stopped. So that, that the whole industrial revolution, when they talk about, you know, Eli Whitney and the steam engine and all that, I'm like, no, that's not the industrial revolution. You know what I'm saying? That that in order for that, you know, it, that's that's just a part that came after the fact. Even when he created that, he made work harder on the black folks because yeah. now with the, with the event of the cotton gin. That meant that the black, you know, black people had to pick cotton even faster because it was separating, you know what I'm saying, the cotton that they were picking and they needed to pick it even faster to feed the machine. So it actually made life harder on us at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always want to make sure that when we talk about the Industrial Revolution, we look at it in the proper perspective because to not do so is to negate the contributions of us and to assuage their collective conscience. And we're not going for that. You know, our, our people built this whole Western civilization up. And slavery and that model is still what's at the core of American economics to this very day. There are like 4,000 companies that benefit or utilize prison labor. You know yeah, what I mean? That's, that's I, absolutely I, 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 Yeah. I got, I, got that, I got that part in my book, too. I named, I named a lot, but I didn't name all 4,000, but I named a lot of companies. And it's crazy. And I, and I wanted to um, say something. You know how um, it's funny because, like, I be having to explain to people, right, because they convinced our people, and just people in general, not just our people, they just com com convinced people in general in the United States that, yo, you commit a crime, yo, you go to jail. And I'm like, yo, we got to stop believing that because th we have the highest prison, the highest numbers of incarcerated people in the world. We have the highest mm -hmm. recidivism rate, right? And I remember this white dude had brought in this, this, uh, this DVD of all these different prisons in um the world, right? And he brought in like it was one of Norway, and they was just in regular houses, like yo, going drive trucks and go to work and then come back and living up, yeah, 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 regular house. They had the computer, all these riding bikes, swimming, and they had the lowest recidivism rate. And I'm like, bro, y'all don't see the difference, They're like all white. Yes, that's one. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah, they're all white. And it's and it's like, yo, you don't see the difference between how we're living and our living conditions. You put us like, okay, like I'm gonna give you a perfect example. Like in, in New Jersey, if I got locked up and I'm from South Jersey, like you're shipping me to a prison up north. Yeah. And the people that's up north, you're shipping them to prisons down south. So you're making it hard on people's families to be able mm-hmm. to see you. You get what I'm saying? And it's just yeah. it's just so much psychological stuff. And I noticed, like, all right, when I was in New Jersey prison, and I, I went to the hole for a year for a cell phone, right? I actually did some research for a phone, bro. Woo. Yeah. They, bled, they bled me. I didn't want to tell them who gave it to me. A police gave it to me. Of and course. He, and he was black. He was from the hood, but he was about to retire. Mm. And, you know, I wasn't going I wasn't going to throw him under the bus and mess his whole pension. Like, he done worked his whole life. You feel what I'm saying? Yes, and, um, so I wasn't going to do that to him. And he, and he used to be looking out for everybody. So I'm like, nah, that's, that's weak as hell. So, you know, I did my, they gave me a year in the hole and they took a year of my good time. So mm. um, I did some research and I noticed that they said the life expectancy of people when they go to the hole comes down, like your life expectancy comes down because you not having physical or uh, contact socially with people. Like that makes your lifespan go down. Literally seen all these scientific articles on it, right? So I was like putting that in the book and I realized that Oregon, watch this. Oregon won't let you be in lockup for over 180 days at a time. I don't care what you did. Damn, so everything in Oregon is maxed out at 180. Six months. Bruh, they not playing over there. I say, yo, this they got PlayStation, Nintendo, uh, Wii U's, Xbox, you name it, bruh. Pool tables in the yard, free weights. I'm like, yo. But it's hella less fights. It's like, and I'm like, yeah. yo. Yeah, so I'm like, yo, they, this is crazy as hell. Like, they make these people... They have all these like vi- every month you got visits where your people could come on the yard and walk around with you. <laughs> like, yo, they- yes, bro. I'm trying to tell you, it's it's so different. And I'm like, yo, they do this for their people on purpose. Cause y'all know what this is really doing to people, but you, you know, you still have to maintain this system because that cheap labor, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. But you want to make it as good for them as possible. I talked to this white dude, man. Thank you for that. And he um he was locked up in Oregon. And I was getting it from a white dude's perspective. And he said exactly every same everything you saying, but he was telling the truth on him. He was like, Yeah, it's predominantly white. You know what I'm saying? It's hard on a black person in um in Oregon prisons. But he was like, It's so easy on us. They make it real easy. Cause he he was now locked up in California, been over here for a long time, and he was really complaining. He was trying to get uh an interstate <laughs> compact transfer here to go back to Oregon. Yes. And everybody always talks about that Norway prison model. And the fact of the matter, they treat them like human beings, and that's very important. But what I typically tend pe- tell people is kind of what we're talking about with Oregon right now is what's different about them is they don't have the, 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 the various races like we have over here. It's not the melting pot like you have here in America. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. have they, they don't have that, that mix of culture like that. So it's easier for them to still look out for their folks, just like they do in Oregon, where here we have racist ideologies and, and historical um, historical beliefs and practices that have been in play for years that have never been corrected. And so to, t- to think that we're going to go over there and study what they're doing in Norway and bring it over here to America is really wishful thinking, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because we haven't even addressed, yeah. we haven't even addressed the issues that are at the core, like, we, we, you know, we were discussing the other day on the reparationist perspective, which is the statutes. You know, the statutes serve as the portals or the windows that allow the racist ideologies and the, and the concepts that were created centuries ago to still operate today. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Because we don't we haven't gotten rid of them. We haven't taken care of them. And it just doesn't make any sense from a common sense perspective. It just doesn't make any sense. For us to still be governed by laws that were created when we weren't even seen as human beings. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense for us to evolve the automobiles that we drive and not evolve the laws that govern us as a people. That just doesn't make any sense. I can transition from a Model T to a Model S, but I still have to deal with slavery. You know what I'm saying? And the culture says it don't make no sense. 
Yo, and that's crazy that you say that because when you was on Reparations Perspective, I remember her saying, you was like, who was the brother? I think you thought it was Malcolm X in the beginning, but it was Dr. Claude Anderson. Right. Yo, I love him. I don't know if you read his book, Powernomics, but that's that's I like, bro, that's like the Bible, I promise you. Um, but he be talking about that. He says, um, we locked and boxed in the Constitution. And he always talking about the Constitution needs to change if Black people want to see change in this in this uh in this society. So yeah, that's definitely um that's definitely uh real what you're saying. I wanted to ask you about this real quick. I heard you say this on another channel. Uh theory for emotional illiteracy based criminality. Can you break that down? Yeah, thank you very much for asking about that. So I'm I'm the pioneer of that. And okay. the reason why I'm the pioneer of it is because, like I said, I did 24 years in the pen and I had to do a lot of soul searching to understand how I got there and what was going to be required, required of me to get out of there. And so um, it all started when I was on a maximum security level, level four, 180 prison, uh, New Folsom. OK. And by that time, I had been in prison long enough to go to the Board of Parole hearings. This is when they first told me. And I never thought I was going to be in prison long enough to go to the board of parole hearings. I thought my case would get overturned first. Right. So I never looked to go to the board. But one of the linchpins that they like to use here or one of the bullets to shoot you down is antisocial personality disorder. They'll say, well, you know, um, you have antisocial personality disorder because you committed the crime and you're in prison. But then every time you receive a disciplinary report, that's evidence that your antisocial personality disorder still persists. So they say, yeah, it's deep, bro. It's deep. So me having so many 115s already, and, and it don't even matter if it, it could have been for like, I had a sheet hanging up to, to block the window while I use the bathroom. And yeah. I had a CEO come by something while I'm on the toilet, trying not to be seen because it's, it's holes in the door and everybody can see you on the toilet. And I don't want to be seen. And, or they don't even have to come by. They could be in the tower. They could be across the day room and they'll, uh, right brown or 115 or 128 for having the sheet up. Yep. And then the board of parole hearings will say, I'm antisocial and I'm unfit for release back into society because I put a sheet up because I don't want people staring at me while I defecate and empty out my house. Right? <clears throat> deep. So th people outside don't understand this type of stuff. So once they told me, I, I seen a site and this dude was so, so arrogant and like uppity and racist, man. He looked at me like I was trash. Right? Yeah. When we yeah. walked up, I stuck my hand out like this to shake his hand. He looked at me. He looked me up and down. Didn't even, wouldn't even touch my hand or nothing. This is way pre-COVID, bro. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay. Right. <laughs> then after he after he compiled his report, he said, Mr. Brown thinks he's entitled. You know, he's narcissistic. And evidence of that is the fact that he stuck his hand out like I was supposed to shake his hand when I met him. Put that in the report. And, Yo, and for me, crazy. I'm like, I thought that was pro-social behavior. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? <laughs> but they hold us to a different standard. You look him in the eye, you, I'm, I'm being too aggressive. I go to shake his hand, I think I'm entitled. You know what I'm saying? But I'm trying to operate the ways that I, I thought a normal person was supposed to. So he gave me this scathing report talking about how I was anti-social, it persists, and I'm, I'm unfit to be released in society, if you ask him, so forth and so on. And I didn't I didn't agree with much of what he was talking about, you know. Uh -huh. So what I did was I went back and I got the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM-5. And I began studying all of the various, you know, conduct disorder, um, antisocial personality disorder, multiple personality disorder. I started studying all these things so I can become aware of and abreast so I can better defend myself or let it be known that I address the issues that they say they detected in me. Right. Mm -hmm. They didn't like that. No, they, they never like do. That. You know they what I'm saying? Do. After studying it, bro, I wrote a, a hundred page manuscript called How I Overcame Antisocial Personality Disorder Through Emotional Literacy. And when I went up in the board with that, it said, oh, who you think you are? You think you're smarter <laughs> than yeah, you think you're smarter than the clinical psychologist? They got on my, they did not appreciate it. You know what I mean? And I'm like, no, no, I don't think I'm smarter than him. But I know me better than he knows me. I know what I've been dealing with. I know what I've been going through. This dude talked to me for like an hour and a half. And then he put this big ass document together talking about I, I have all these issues and all these problems. He didn't study me for months, weeks, years, none of that. You understand what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an hour and a half conversation. And now he's going to come make these diagnoses. And, 
And I'm telling y'all, some of the stuff I could have seen, I, I had once upon a time, but I don't have those issues anymore. Everyone has an antisocial personality disorder, not, not disorder, antisocial traits. Everyone yes. can exhibit antisocial yeah. traits at any given moment. No, I'm no exception to the rule. You know what I mean? Antisocial personality disorder, even if you had an alias, that's that's supposed to be indicative of you having antisocial personality disorder. Your mama could have named you Lil Man when you were small and you grew up with everybody calling you Lil Man or she called you Booby and everybody called you Booby. They say that because you have an alias or an AKA, that's antisocial, right? Yes, Stuff like that that you can't escape. And then it gets deeper than that. You're not supposed to even be able to get diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder unless you had a run in with the, with the law enforcement by the age of 14 years old. So when we look at that, who is it that's going to have a run in with the law by the time they're 14 and who is going to have it documented and who's not going to have it documented? Who's going to get sent to juvenile hall? Who's going to say we're going to call your parents to come pick you up and not put this in the record? Uh, so, <laughs> so that that right there, I said, this this is race based. I see what's going on. The white kids they get diagnosed with conduct disorder, which is curable. We get antisocial personality disorder, which they say is not curable. You can only grow out of it in your late forties, <laughs> according to them. Right? So, I mean, this don't even make no sense. But it was during these studies that I discovered emotional literacy, okay. and and the reason how I discovered it because. When breaking down antisocial personality disorder, I said, well, look at it. What's the opposite of antisocial? If they say I'm antisocial, then apparently the goal is for me to become the opposite of that. And any, the opposite of anti is pro. Yeah. So the opposite of antisocial is pro-social. And knowing this, I'm like, well, shucks. I feel like I didn't crack the code on rehabilitation. The whole purpose of incarceration in prison is supposed to be able to effectuate pro-social thinking and behavior in the people who are there. That's the goal. You know what I'm saying? Because apparently they failed to be, you know, we failed to be good citizens or abide by the law or whatever. And that's part of antisocial personality disorder, a failure to conform to lawful behavior. So even when we was talking about a moment ago, the stuff that's taking place in Oregon, how they're treating everybody, that's mm -hmm. pro-social behavior, how they're treating them. That's pro-social engagement, pro-social activity. Norway, that's pro-social yep. cultural immersion. They're giving them opportunity to go work. They're giving them opportunity to have relationships and talk to people. That's what's at the core of rehabilitation. So realizing that, I said, well, what's, what's the um, core of pro-social behavior? Being emotionally literate, an emotionally literate person. So then I was able to break it down and put the two and two together. So to be antisocial is to be emotionally illiterate. And to be pro-social is to be emotionally literate. And then I, I went a little further and I'm like, well, all of us are born pro-social. All of us are born emotionally literate, but we experience traumas. We experience external stimuli that causes us to adopt coping mechanisms that are deviant, criminal, or just crazy. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So the gist of the theory of emotional illiteracy-based criminality is that no one is born bad, no one is born evil, but people adopt criminality as a coping mechanism for unprocessed traumas, which is therefore with the, with the proper, like, um, pro-social skills and coping mechanisms and opportunities and relationships is curable. It's the holy grail. You can bring a person all the way back from being anti-social all the way back to being pro-social because they were born that way. All of us were born that way. Mm -hmm. you know, so that's, the, that's what it is. And I'm seeking to have it operationalized and put inside communication studies journals and behavior science journals so that we can use it as the basis for creating new comprehensive legislation on how we deal with people who find themselves in those courtrooms being sold out by them public defenders that's getting that $500. Oh my God! Listen, <laughs> yeah. yo, yo, listen. You know, you want to know what's crazy is that when I was in Oregon, right? Um, I was I was cutting up, not cutting up in a bad way. I mean, cutting up. I learned how to use that pen, and yeah, I yeah. noticed you can't physically beat them, so you have to mentally do it, and they hate that. So watch this. I I actually was in prison for um uh, uh what's this shit called um I can't even think of the charge now uh. Custodial interference. That's what it was. Listen, bro, this is. Hey, that sounds like a black code. That sounds like black code. I don't even know what that is. Custodial interference. I inter I interfered with the custody of my children when they was illegally taken by the state. Right. Wow. They, we violated our due process. They went and grabbed my You're kids. Trying to be from, a father. Yes. Yes. So watch this. Right. So mind you, I'm in there for that. 
I started an African-American program and I went, when I did, I ordered all the DVDs from Dr. Carl Anderson, who on Powernomics, you know, about building black America, right? Yes. So they was like, yo, listen, we're going to put you in this pro because I don't do drugs or anything. So they was like, um, we, we want to put you in an alternative incarceration program, which is a a, a um, program that gets you out of prison early in Oregon, right? You can leave six months early, but you got to be in on a drug charge. So my counselor and the superintendent in the in the uh, prison I was in, they was like, yo, listen, man, um, how you feel about going to AIP? And I was like, AIP? I was like, I ain't eligible. They was like, look, uh, we're going to ask you some questions in the way. However you answer it is based on whether you get in. So I'm like, Dude. he's like, so have you done any drugs? I'm like, nah, bro, I don't do drugs. He said, yo, bro, you. I mean, if you want to get an AIP, you got to answer these right. I'm like, yo. Well, I'm telling you, I'm mastering them right. Why I got to be a drug addict, man? Shit. Yo, for real. So look, I'm like, bro, all right, bro, I smoke weed. He said, come on, man. You got to you gotta do something. I said, nah, bro, you're not going to get me to say I smoke crack or sniff no coke or none of that shit. Like, yeah. bro, weed, weed is illegal where I'm from, nigga. So it's still a drug. <laughs> My niggas is going to prison forever. That's enough. Yeah, that's you know? enough right there. So, um. They let me in the program. Now, watch this. Just like how you said how when you hit them with some shit. So now I'm in this program and you they call it. Uh, I forgot what they call it, but you got to kind of like tell on people basically like when they doing stuff wrong and um, whatever. So we in this thing and um, the lady kept saying this dude was 20 something years sober and he, had, he was telling the story. So she like, yeah, so uh, yeah, go back then when you were drinking. And I'm like, yo, why you keep trying to make this nigga go back? You feel me into a dark space like this. This shit don't even make sense. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, y'all always doing that. So when it came to my turn, she was asking me like, uh, about spanking my kids. I'm like, yeah, that's. I said, I'm a product of my environment. Like, my parents spanked me. Their parents spanked them, and I went all the way back to when the slave masters was spanking my <laughs> my ancestors. We got right? it from. Yeah, yeah. Right? So um, she was like. Oh, that's victim. That's victim stance. And I'm like, victim stance? How does victim stance? Nigga? She's like, no, you can't be a product of your environment. So at the end of the class, she was like, yeah. Mr. Adams, come here. So she brought me in her office and was like, um, she's like, I know you're a reader. Cause I used to have uh flashcards walking around the yard or whatever. So she like, um, she like, you need a book. I said, that's Yeah, cool. I wrote a book. I said, I said, Can you get me a book on um on uh neurology? Right? So she gave me the book, I read it. Man, don't you know? It, mind you, it was written by two neurologists, and they was breaking down how you're a product of your environment and how your uh the plastic scoring. Man, listen, don't you know? I came in there and spit that shit. She said, "Next time," she said, "Don't ask me for no more books." <laughs> 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 yeah. I was like, Yo, bro, this shit is crazy. Yeah, like, indeed. yeah, they get upset when you get the knowledge, man, and you and and you, I'm. All you're trying to do is evolve and grow and help them evolve and grow and help the people around you evolve and grow. But that's the most dangerous thing. In my first hearing, when I went, you know, I, I went to the board five times. I stipulated once, got denied three times, finally got found suitable on the fifth one. In my very first hearing that I appeared, I was, you know, in there talking and dialoguing. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about to go home. I'm about to go home. The dude was talking to me like I'm out of there. And it went so well that on my closing statement, I was like, you know what? I'm going to share a poem about my, my my rehabilitation because all the things that I was learning about, what we, you know, studying that that manual of mental disorders and emotional literacy and and how I've come so far. And, you know, I didn't, I got a, I got an AA in social science. I got an AA uh, transfer degree in sociology. I just graduated Madam Cum Laude with my bachelor's in communication studies. And tomorrow I'm filling out the application for my Ph.D., Right. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. Congratulations, too. And I've seen that on your uh, Instagram, too. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you, bro. That's what's up. And so I go in and I start. I'm like, let me share this poem with you, man. And I spit this poem, bro. And I knew better. I knew better than that. Because <laughs> in the poem, I spoke Spanish. I spoke Swahili. You know, I use these these highfalutin educational terms and everything. Uh -huh. And man, that dude looked at me and he came back and he said, you're a leader. You're a good speaker. And I said, oh, shit. Then he said, I I need to get like one more year out of you, Mr. Brown, to make sure that this change is sustainable. 
You know, and I was like, damn, I fucked up by showing them how intelligent I was. Because we were always told, you know what I'm saying, since Cointel Pro, that they the gatekeepers. They're not supposed to let the next Malcolm, Martin, Mega, Muhammad, or any of that come up out of them, them, them doors. You know what I'm yeah. saying? About that system. And so I messed up. They denied me, and they denied me, and they denied me. So that's how that went down. So I know the power of a book and how terrified they are of us reading and learning, especially in that situation. Absolutely. I mean, look at it. Go ahead. Yeah, look at us right now. Look what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? We we leading the charge. Mm -hmm. We fighting for the people. It's not it's not the weed. It's not the, the alcohol. It's not the guns. It's not the knives. It's the knowledge that we acquired that that went along with the indignation that we felt for the injustice that we were suffering under this oppressive system. You know that's got us fired up and on the front line and still carrying the torch of our ancestors. Yep. And you know what's crazy? And I feel like that whole parole thing is a setup just by way based off what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. from from California. And when I was in New Jersey, they had this thing. I, I swear, I wish I could have brought my man on here. Yo, they have it where if you take too many programs in New Jersey, they hit, give you a hit for manipulating the system. Now watch what? this. I was in there for a, a, a terroristic threat, right? They they So I took Cage Your Rage, um, Anger Management. Um, I took all these programs. I was doing... Uh, at this time, they was allowing you to do uh, college courses. So I was going to Mercer County C Community College, taking uh, Marketing 101, Math 101, English 101, right? I go see parole. This is my first time in prison, right? So I'm like, boy, I already know I'm about to get out. I've been doing all good. I ain't never gotten in trouble the whole time down. You feel mm. me? They was like, uh, yeah, well, we feel like you just took way too many programs. I'm like, what? Yo, listen, what? boy, that shit had me crying for real, dog. Like, what? I like that. I understand. I'm like, yo, hold on. Like, what do you what are you talking about? I took too many programs. Nigga, I'm trying to better myself. Boom. Gave me a 14-month hit. You know within that 14-month hit, I got caught with the cell phone. Come didn't on. tell on, didn't tell on dude, didn't tell on the police, got out and do, while I was in the hole, I seen parole. And I was like, yo, I because based off of New Jersey time, that you can like work your time down. Right. You feel me? And that'll be less time you have on parole when you get home. So I was like, I calculated it and I was like, yo, if I refuse parole right now, just do a couple more months, I'll go home parole free and I ain't got to worry about nobody on my back telling me to do this and piss and all that. Bro, I said, I don't want it. The niggas made me go outside the uh, door, came back in. They was like, congratulations. We, I'm like, yo, get the fuck out of here, dog. Because so now when you were showing that you were educated and prepared and ready, it was like, no, nah, no, nah, that's too much. When you in a bad situation and the chances of you recidivating seem like they're high. Now it's like, go ahead. Go on, Mr. Yeah. Blackstar. Go on, Mr. Williams. Go on. <laughs> yeah. That's cold. It's real talk, though. Yo, that's why I say this whole system is just like so twisted and like so not in favor for people and a lot of people and like even our family members don't understand no it. And it's they like, don't. yo, you just gotta just stop that. I'm like, nah, dog, this shit is like set up in the most wickedest way. I don't know if you ever read um uh The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Of course. Man, that's like that's like another Bible, right? It is so even, even she be speaking on how even when the crime rate was going down from the previous year, They're still building jails. Yeah, the incarceration rate was even getting higher. So I'll be telling people like, yo, how is that even possible? Do you feel what I'm saying? And it, like, I remember arguing with people on Facebook too, like about, um, I was showing all the FBI statistics from every year. And I'll be like, look, white people committed more crimes than every other race combined. We're committing less than 50% of the crimes, but we're like 40 to 50% of the jail population. Yeah. That don't add up. Do you feel what I'm saying? And people just feel like, like I had this chick one day. I'm sorry, I'm kind of rambling, but I had this chick. Right. And she and she was like, uh, I was like, yo, people shouldn't go to jail for nonviolent crimes. Like, like nonviolent, like prison. Like you giving like five, ten years prison for nonviolence. I said, cause yo, at the end of the day, what are you? If it's nonviolent, what are you? What are you protecting them from? So let, let, I'm glad you brought that up, right? <clears throat> so what we find here in America. And you can attest to this like I can. Crimes of property take priority over crimes of, of person. Like 
That's why the, the child molesters, the rapists, the judges, you know, the police, the, the priests and all them, they walk. Let mm -hmm. your ass go do carjack somebody for a Mercedes Benz or something. You know what I'm saying? Let your ass do yeah. something with somebody's money. They're going to book the shit out you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And the yeah. reason why, that stems all the way back again to slavery. Because at the end of slavery, you know what I'm saying? We were not the majority. That's one. We were not running around committing homicides and assaults and beating people. It was white folks who was doing that type of stuff to, to us and to each other. We were still like a, we were stealing stuff to, to, to survive. Stealing pigs, you know what I'm saying? Stealing yeah. food. And so crimes of property was something that black people were more inclined to do just out of basic, the need to survive. Whereas yeah. crimes against person, rape, you know what I'm saying? Rape was homicide, all that stuff. That's always been predominantly a white crime ever since like the origin of this country. Truth yep. be told. And so that the, the way the system was set up that now crimes of property take place and they take more precedence over the crime. I mean, look, look at the feds. I mean, you know, they lock your ass up for messing with the money, but you can harm as many people as you want and you mess around and uh, you'll get out, especially yep. depending on what kind of harm it is. Like, like I said, violating a woman or violating a child, something like that, your ass be right back on the streets. Yo, and I noticed that in Oregon too, because they have the highest... Uh... Um, molestation and rape cases per capita in the whole country, right? But like, mm -hmm. bro, they be. I'm like, yo, dog, hold up, hold up, hold up. I, I just, I just like interfered with some type of custody, and like a nigga molested three little boys, nigga got less time than me. I'm like, hold up, what? I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell what you. Are you doing this at? You feel me? And it's just mm -hmm. like, yo, and it's so funny because it's so many of them. You know how they don't, you don't rock or like they don't live in in prisons. Nigga, not in Oregon, bro. They living, dog, and they making accommodation. Like that's why you could you fight one of them in 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 the prison. Oh, nigga, you getting a hate crime? You getting a street charge with nothing less than seventy two months? Damn, bro, they not you know, playing. Before we um before we end this interview, whenever you're ready, I'm not tripping on, on time or nothing like that because I'm okay. here with you. But I something you. I would love. I no, you don't have to though. I'm just saying. But something I would love for you to do, man, is I would love for me and you just have a dialogue real quick about telling people to go out and vote to end slavery in Oregon. You know what I'm saying? If you if you just gave me like a small because I'm gonna make a reel out of it. Would you tell me right now and just and me and you just hashtag end slavery and tell the folks go go in Oregon and vote. You know what I'm saying? I would love for you to just share some of what you said about being in the call center, the money you weren't making, how they was making 28 million, the whole nine, anything you that you would like to put out there. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, definitely go um vote for that because listen, slavery in the prison system is is you know is actually killing killing us at the end of the day. You know, mentally, uh, physically, because you know some of them jobs are are like physically hurting. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely vote for that because actually when you're uh when you're in the prison system and you're working and you're doing all that work, like you're literally getting pennies on the dollar and when you get that now you have to use that for the phone you have to mm -hmm. use that for your food so you don't even have enough money to come home or even send to your kids if you want to send money out you get what i'm saying it's like because you need it for your own survival right so yeah definitely um is that the same is it the same thing like a ac a3 is it, it is like, it's, it's the same bill all the way around it's well i don't know I don't know what like caveats they may have had to make in order to get it through their legislature, but it's definitely the same. It's definitely the same um, movement because we're doing it in like 32 states. And so right now it's, it's Oregon, Vermont, Alabama, Louisiana, and Vermont. What was the other one I said? Oregon, Vermont. Hold on one second. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oregon, Vermont, Louisiana. Um, Alabama, and I don't know why it's just eluding me like that, but oh, Tennessee, yeah, okay. Tennessee, Tennessee. Okay, 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 right. And so, we just want to encourage everybody if you got loved ones in one of those freedom five states Oregon, Tennessee, Alabama, um, Vermont, or Louisiana tell them to go out and vote to end slavery in their state because it's real, it's decimating our communities, these corporations or minimizing costs and maximizing profits and they don't concern they're not with no concern for the black bodies or the brown bodies 
or any of the bodies, even the white bodies. They don't even care no more. Once you up in there, you can become a slave, period. You know, yep. and what you have in firsthand knowledge of, of working in Oregon, it's really good for the people to hear from you, man, so they can, you know, get a good understanding of what's taking place. Yes, it's it's crazy too, because not only do they have that, like they have um not just the call center, another job is they have the uh the uh laundry, right? Where they're doing uh they're doing all the laundry for all the hospitals, right? Yeah, they're yeah, doing, mental institutions, everything. I did that too out here. Yup, they got they have a um now this is the one that I, I didn't realize that they, they make a lot of money too. It's about three hundred a month. It's it's like um it's a sewing, like they sold all the clothes because in Oregon they wear we wear jeans, so they make the jeans and all of that. But um I wanted to say this real quick before I let you go. Um I remember being in the program and I kept saying they they was asking me how how do uh how do we end this or whatever? Like what's a what's a good way to like you know cut recidivism down? And I said, yo, you know, all the programs y'all have in prison, right? I said, when you ask sociologists and psychologists, they say that poverty breeds crime and that 50, 90% of the people in prison fall below the poverty line. So I'm like, yo, why is there no economic classes or programs in prison if that's how we're all getting here? Do you feel mm -hmm. what I'm saying? It's mm -hmm. like, y'all purposely leave all this stuff out the same way y'all leave it out of school, right? And you expect people to go back and just be <laughs> thriving in society after you done, you get what I'm saying? After you don't make me work for pennies on the dollar, you ain't teach me nothing. I, you get what I'm saying? I don't got a trade or anything, but you know, that's- So to answer your question, how to reduce the recidivism rate is simple. We got to change the laws. We got to change the statutes. Most of the changes that we see when it comes to criminal justice reform, they're aesthetic. They're only they're, they're like superficial. You know what I mean? They're not going to the core. What sense does it make to take the fish out of a polluted lake, stick the plug, you know, inject penicillin in the fish and then throw it back in the polluted lake? You got to clean yeah. the lake. <laughs> you feel what yep. I'm saying? Yep. That's what yep. it is with the Constitution. You got to you got to clean up the vestiges of white supremacy that are still very much alive inside the governing documents of this country and these states. And if you don't do that, then you still have this this oppressive regime that operates through the social, legal, economic, and educational political systems, the sleep systems, like you heard me say before, and mm -hmm. in every way, it's going to continue to influence people to feel like they have to, when, when, when education decreases, the chances of you committing a crime in order to survive increases. You know what I'm saying? It's common sense. So as long as forced labor takes precedence over rehabilitation, people will continue to recidivate. We have to really take a look at how the carceral sitting is set up and how it operates if we really want to change it. When a person goes there, they should be there to address the issues that the traumas that they had that led them to turn into criminality. They should be there to learn some type of trade, to get their education in place. You know what I'm saying? Become taxpayers. Give them a decent wage. They can pay taxes. They can pay child support. They can pay court fees. They can pay restitution. And then they can have some money to walk out to. And they can also get hired by the people who employed them in prison. Cause the way it is right now, you can go work for somebody while you're in prison. They won't even hire you when you get out. Like you're unworthy. That's fact. Yeah. I, every time I try to go get a job at Walmart, I get denied. And he's like, oh, your criminal history. <laughs> like, come yeah, on, but they, dog. But they using prison labor, though. Yes. Listen, yeah. all of them. Uh, Nintendo. Uh, what is it? Uh, Victoria's Secret. It's, it's so many companies. Yeah, Starbucks. All of them, bro. Compact. Yeah, Starbucks, Starbucks won't let me either. They, nigga, you... You don't got the look over here. <laughs> Not so bloody. But if you was in the prison, you can go package up their stuff, though. Yup. You, know? yep. you definitely ain't lying. Where can the people find you at? I got your cat. I got your cash app on the bottom. And family, make sure y'all bless this brother with his with your cash app. You know, and support him. Um, I got your um IG at the bottom too. Do you, are you on Twitter on all that? I am on Twitter, but I actually need to become more live on Twitter, man. I, I only been out for nine months and I'm still getting acclimated to all of the different social media sites. And I'm okay. wearing a lot of hats. I actually, I need me a communications team. I know that's right. I know that's right. Now, Twitter, Twitter is actually where it's at. And um, to be honest, bro, we got to do this on a, because on the Twitter space, you can, um, that's where I kind of, that's where Angela always hit me in the inbox about her Twitter space. I was actually just on it on my phone. And uh, just listening to her, what not listening to her, but I had it on low. But yeah, we can go on Twitter 
and um do spaces, spaces like this. Yeah, and people come in and they can chime in and things like that because yo, you definitely need to get that word out. Cause the moment I heard it, I was like, that's why I was like, bro, I don't care what I gotta do. I gotta get bro on the channel. Like, cause this is my first time ever interviewing somebody. And I was just like, bro, I really? gotta get brother on here. I swear. Oh man, I'm yeah. really humble, brother Black Star. Thank you for that. It's all love, man. And anytime we can get together, just listening to the book that you've written, all the research that you're doing, this is not gonna be the last time that you and I partner up on things, man, because you're very impressive, bro. And I really thank, thank you for the work that you're doing. We need you. Yep, yep. What 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 um organization? I heard you say something. I'm I'm about to let you go in a second. I promise you. I heard oh, the 10P program. Yes. So that's the 10P, yours. That's mine. I created it while I was in prison. Right. Um, in 2014, when I was on that yard, I seen a lot of people getting killed, committing suicide, overdosing, and all that stuff. And I told my supervisor, I'm like, man, these dudes got like three, four, five life without the possibility of parole sentences. You know what I'm saying? They got like hundreds of points that ain't never going to come down. So they stand on these high level security prisons and they have nothing to live for. And she was like, well, do something about it. Don't talk about it. Do something about it. And, you know, I accept. <laughs> I say challenge accepted. You know, just like when I was negative, I used to accept those phase. So I'm like, OK, now I'm positive. I'm accept that fade, too. So challenge accepted. And then I took everything that I learned. Remember, I told you I was studying the Diagnostic Statistical Manual Mental Disorders. And mm -hmm. so, and I wrote how I overcame yada yada being made antisocial personality disorder through emotional literacy. So I took all of that stuff that I began learning, and then I created my own curriculum, and I created this program. And when I presented it in a proposal to the warden, the chief deputy wardens, associate wardens, the educational staff, they all approved it unanimously. And then when I went out and I gathered the people from the yard and got them to come in and try this foreign concept to everybody sitting in this circle and and talking about your traumas and preparing for the board because that shit was foreign. Wasn't nobody even going to the board or being found suitable on a maximum security level for a 180 prison. You know what I'm saying? So this That's whole discussion, crazy. it was like, fuck you talking about going home or going to the parole board, bro. I don't, I don't go to no damn board. I mean, just having the discussion was off the chain, but the people <laughs> trusted me because they know I'm, I'm, I'm real, I'm solid, I'm, I'm respected up and down the state. And it came in and it, it was a hit. And then I created a portion that was um, like remote. It's called The Brain Project. And it, trans it stands for Transcribing Honest Essays and Book Reports, Achieving Insightful Neural Growth. And the reason why I did that was for people who were in like the mental health ward, people who were in the whole uh, enhancement outpatient programs, EOP, people who could not come sit in a circle, but still deserved an opportunity to start the process of learning about rehabilitation and how to better themselves. So the 10P program was so successful that it wound up getting implemented on every facility in that entire prison. And that was in 2014. And I created a partnership between the program and the California State University, Sacramento, the Division of Adult Parole's Operations, McGeorge School of Law. I mean, and it was really popping. Nobody has seen anything like that. So then I transferred and I went to another prison and I was able to get it started there. And right when I got found suitable, um, we wrote a grant. I wrote a grant for myself, you know what I mean? Sent it out to my wife. And she she turned it in and they, they submitted it. And within 45 days of me being out, I got notified that we were awarded the grant so that the program was now funded. You know what I'm saying? And okay. that is, is history. That's what's up, family, man. I, I definitely commend you for that. I'm going to let you go because, listen, this is the reason I wrote the book, because a female that I was kicking it with, she like, man, you need to write something about this because you talk about jail too much. And <laughs> I could I could go on this subject all day long, man. It's, need, it's needed though. It definitely needed, is. It definitely is. Cause we all have somebody that we know in there or experienced this, or even people whose family members experienced it. I have I seen a chick on Facebook. She said, Man, I hate this jail stuff, man. This nigga done came home and and she was like, uh, he's not the same no more. She was like super hot. And I, I had the inbox like, yo, my listen, bro, that. There ain't no rehabilitation in that. You just gonna have to, you know, stick with them or whatever, whatever. But just trust me that you know it's, it's psychological warfare going on in there, and you know a lot of people don't come out the same. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Especially if they don't have strong minds. You know what I mean? So it's like you know, take it with a grain of salt or whatever. But bro, I definitely appreciate you for all you doing. I appreciate you for coming on the channel, and um. Yeah, man, we definitely going to stick. We we definitely going to keep in touch. I promise you. I got your number. I asked. I asked Angela for your email, 
And I seen the number. I said, oh, man, it's on and popping. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I told him. He said somebody wanted to reach out to me. I said, give him my number, man. Give him my everything. So I'm, I'm glad you reached out. And when I kick off that Twitter spaces, bro, I actually want to kick it off with you, man. Just like how you, you know, you invited me here and I'm your first host, your first, I'm your first guest. I would yes. love for you to be there present with me when I kick off my Twitter spaces, man. All right. Thank you so much, brother. You you and your family have a blessed day, man. Thank you. You, you stay do up, all right? Keep up the great work, Blastar. All right. Thank Peace. you so much, brother. Be all right. Easy. And y'all go out there and vote. Definitely. Definitely voting for that. Definitely voting for that. I ain't never vote for nothing in my life, but that right there. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, bro. Peace. All right, peace, family. That was Sam Brown, family. Make sure y'all um y'all support that brother, man. His cash app right there, Sammy White Sox. Um, capital S A M M Y W H I T E S C O K S. And you can find him on IG at Sammy dot Nathaniel dot Brown. Um, there you go, family. And again, bro, that was listen, bro. I could I, I only told him 45 minutes, but we was going for an hour. I, I, I had to let him go because other than that, boy, I'll be on this joint forever. Because y'all know how I can go on that topic. But um, yeah, make sure y'all go vote for that um to end slavery. Because listen, to end slavery in the prisons, because I'm telling you, they'll have a person busting their ass for them little pennies on the dollar, bro. And if you quit, you go into the hole. When you go to the hole, you lose some more time. And you can't, like, bro, I'm trying to tell you, you heard what he was saying, bro. Uh, again, bro, shout out to that brother, man. Much love and respect, you know what I'm saying, for um, for what he's doing and what he's accomplishing. Brother going to go get that PhD. Man, I, I respect that so much because, <clears throat> especially after doing all that time, man, 24 years is a long time, man. That's a long time. So, um. I'm about to get up out of here. I'm so hungry, family. I'm thirsty as hell. Uh, y'all have a blessed day. Make sure y'all hit that subscribe button, man. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button. Hit that share button. Hit that notification bell. I must try to get somebody else on the channel if I can, if it's possible. But um, peace and blessings, family. Y'all be easy, man. We out of here. <laughs>